0: You're listening to the Sound Girls podcast with Susan and Becky from Central Florida.
1: This episode features an interview with Jade Payne, front of house and monitor engineer. You can find us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and our website, soundgirls.org. Jade is a live sound engineer and musician based in NYC. For the last 14 years, she has spent an excessive amount of time in studios, venues, and 15 passenger vans. Having mixed in dozens of countries worldwide, Jade currently works with the bands Krungbin as a front of house engineer and Bikini Kill as monitors. Off the road, Jade is a regular contributor to the publications Women in Sound, She Shreds, and Heroines Filter and Filter Sweep. I think you might have to tell me more because I don't know those last two.
2: Welcome. Welcome, Jade. (laughs) Thank you. It's so great to be here. I love the podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you guys. Uh, Um, Yeah, the last two. So Filter Sweep is a zine that I did. I like to kind of think of it as like a kind of underground culty thing, just because there's only one issue out. And as of now, working on more. But that's a zine that I just kind of self-published about my very first tour as a front-of-house engineer. Cool. At the time, I thought it would be cool to document it, and it just kind of was like a fun little diary-type style tour diary with, like, drawings and, you know, techie kind of explanations, and also I talk about my experiences with the engineers that I worked with from venue to venue and this and that. So that's Filter Sweep. Neat. You might be able to find it on my website. I I need to check on that today. But otherwise, (laughs) I can send a copy to anybody as well if they contact me.
0: Yeah, we can tag it in the show notes, too, just so people start following you and and seeing what you're up to and all that. Sweet. I mean, when we get back to work. and (laughs) (laughs)
2: Whenever that is. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So how did you get into sound to begin with? Like, did you start in studios? Did you go to school? Like, how, how did you find our world?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I guess you could say I started in school. I did go to college, uh, like a four year university called Middle Tennessee State University. They have a really renowned audio recording production degree there. And so, I guess around when I was 17, 18 or so, I, I knew that I was really into music and there was this Casio keyboard that could track like three tracks or four tracks. And I remember playing with that as a teen and, and writing stuff with it. And it just absolutely blew my mind that that was possible. So I was really into recording at a younger age and I kind of set out to work in recording studios and whatnot. And so I went to MTSU, that's middle Tennessee state. Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of got started there. I will say that while I was in school, that particular program was very theory based, very textbook based. You know, when I look back on it, I can remember getting studio time, but it was always at like the middle of the night. um, And you could only get like four (laughs) hour slots. And this is just to give you kind of an idea. This was the era of 7.4. Okay. <laughs> so that's what I was learning on when I was in college. And, you know, it was all fine and good. I'd done some internships around Nashville and tried to kind of get my foot in the door there. But, you know, it's, and I think we'll get into this later on, but I was finding it pretty hard. I think the first internship I had gotten It was pretty nightmarish. I'd found this internship at a studio in Gallatin, Tennessee, and their claim to fame was that Carrie Underwood had recorded there. Okay. They were known for being like a resort studio where the artists could stay there. There was like a little like artist quarters kind of guest house. And then there was a horse pasture. You could ride horses. You could be in nature. And they had come to my school like at at like an info fair and that's kind of how I got it however I ended up learning more about landscaping that summer than I did about audio (laughs) which was kind of cool because I was pretty ripped into that (laughs) summer it was like 2007 or 8 and I I knew how to use weed whacker I could edge Which actually, maybe that stuff would come in handy now. Hmm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Right now, you can pivot your career into trash about them. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and but you know, it was pretty insane. Actually, the first, maybe my first or second day, they were like, "Have you ever used a lawnmower before?" And I lied and said yes. And they were like, "Okay, good. Please go mow the horse pasture." (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And so I remember showing up like awkwardly and like you know what I thought would be like you know a good studio like intern costume or I don't even it it felt like a costume (laughs) to me because it was like slacks and like maybe some nice shoes that I got JC pennies or whatever and and but then I was like covered in mud and sweat at the end of the day and it was just totally ridiculous so that was kind of my first and oh yeah there's so many I remember I got a I was building cables in the shed it was like 90 something degrees in there for them and uh wow I got like a earplug stuck in my ear like a foam earplug because I was weed whacking and then building cables and I had to get my supervisor to come get the foam earplug out of my ear just a lot of a lot of goofy moments I remember the other intern quit but not to get into it um too much just it wasn't the most fruitful introduction into the studio world for me right i bet yeah and it was ooh i'm just saying <laughs> internships yeah they can be really hit or miss you know but after that i had kind of known that i wanted to be in a more diverse audio worlds recording community and Nashville wasn't really seeming right for me, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't, I didn't really feel like I fit in with the engineers at that studio, you know, we'd be chatting about music and stuff and, you know, like, like, Oh, so what are you listening to? I'd say, you know what? actually I really like the York. And then, you know, <laughs> the chief engineer's like, ah, eh, she's a little too weird for me. I'm kind of more into Van Halen, you know? <laughs>
0: yeah. And that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Rock and roll, Van Halen, go.
2: Yeah, we weren't exactly aligned, and um, that was around the time when I had started touring in my own bands as well.
0: You play electric, right? You play guitar?
2: Yeah, I play guitar. Um, I play some other things, but that's kind of more my, my main thing. But I guess it's important to note that, yeah, throughout that time I was playing shows, and I had started touring in my own band, which at the time was called Tramp Skirts, and... The creative part was really important to me and in that that way of connecting. And that's kind of what I wanted to find in in audio as well. And I wasn't really finding that there. So I'd ended up moving to New York City. And then I got an internship at the Magic Shop, which sadly was a one of like the last independent
0: studios
2: in Manhattan. Um, been around for decades. And that was pretty awesome.
0: Was that more realistic to what you had thought an internship would be like, you know, once you got to New York City, you know?
2: Yeah, definitely. It was more realistic. It was more, you know, it's like, okay, they've actually recorded records here that I know and that I I respect and love, you know, and whether it's, yeah, like Paul Simon to, you know, just like recent more like indie stuff, you know, Sonic Youth. That was kind of the world I, I was most interested in being part of. And that was where I met this fantastic producer, John and Yellow, who has worked on thousands of awesome records, most notably like he worked with Cindy Lauper. Nice. I can't even begin the list, but um A lot of great records. And so I remember getting John's Daily News every day because he came in there to do an album for a couple weeks. And um, i get him Daily News, get him a coffee. You know, he's really nice. After the two weeks, he's like, you know what? You should be running this place. Like, he kind of whispered and said, like, (laughs) this place needs a manager. It doesn't have one. You should be that, you know. And nice. he's just like, he could see that, like, I had some more potential that, like, was kind of going wasted sitting at a desk. And um that was pretty rad. And so he he mentioned that his wife worked at Sterling Sound, which is okay. an incredible mastering studio yeah. in New York. And he he was just like, "You know what? Like, would you be interested in going there and maybe, you know, being a booking manager or receptionist even? Like sometimes they they've got openings and and so I gave him my info and maybe about several months later, they did need somebody and they did need a receptionist. So I just kind of like worked my way in that way. And and I was at Sterling Sound for three to four years. I started out at reception and then became a project manager. So I was working with engineers and booking the sessions. And I was every chance I could get just geeking out with our technical engineers, asking them questions yeah. about the gear. And And this and that, because that's ultimately what I really cared about. You know, it was really exciting to be there and seeing that that stage of like a record getting made. We have like a vinyl uh, lacquer cutter there as well. And I was always, yeah, Ray Janos, our lacquer cutter. And one kind of fun thing I like to do if I'm in a record store is I like to randomly pick up a record Take it out, and so the master lacquer cutter is always going to etch a scribe number into the lacquer just to identify what cut that is. You know, sometimes they do Mm -hmm. recuts, and so they they just assign it a little serial number, and then they they if it's a you know mastering house might have a little mic like you can only see this with a magnifying glass. Um, They might have their own stamp that they stamp into it. And then the lacquer cutter will just initial their names. That's cool. So sometimes I'll go to a record shop and see if I can find Ray Jano's because it'll be RJ. And I guarantee you, if you collect vinyl, you probably have a record that says RJ on it.
0: That's awesome.
2: Just because Sterling Sound's been That's around cool. since the 70s and yeah, and he's been there for a while as well. And so I loved picking up all these little like Easter eggs of, of knowledge while I was there I thought it was super fun to pick up CD's vinyl and just like look at the mastered by. And it was always somebody that was at our studio and that felt pretty cool. So I bet. And then even in New York, when I got to New York, I I had found folks to play music with and I'd found a community there creatively, mostly through volunteering with the Willie Mae rock and roll camp for girls. Okay. Um, and it was there where I met uh, Mindy Abovitz, who she created TomTom Tom Magazine. Yeah. She works with the rock and roll camp as well. Um, she's also an audio engineer. And so we met real quickly and we she was the reason I got the internship at the Magic Shop. You know, she's like, oh, you gotta you gotta know my friend Jessica Thompson. She's a mastering engineer, at magic shop. They need more women in there. Like, you know, and so it was it was awesome <laughs> to kind of be like taken in under the wings of these awesome folks through that organization, the Rock and Roll Camp. Are you familiar with that? Like, should I, the Rock and Roll Camp for Girls?
0: Uh, a little bit, but uh, I was going to say some of our listeners might not be familiar with it. So yeah, go ahead and explain that a little bit.
2: Yeah, totally. The Rock and Roll Camp for Girls is, it's an organization that began in Portland, I believe around two thousand. So this is something that's been around for decades now, and it's now worldwide. And it started just with this camp in Portland, Oregon.
1: Is it the same girls' rock camp that I've
2: done? I wonder if it's all the same. Thing. It is possible. So they all operate now under an alliance. It's called the Girls' Rock Alliance. So, the, yeah, I'm sure it was. But there's now other types of rock camps that are, you know, not... That, you know, there's the school of rock, like a lot of people know about that. Yep. But the rock and roll camp for girls.
0: Sound girls rock camp.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's pretty rad because in this is something I've volunteered for since I was 18. I'm 33 now. And just through that community, I've just been able to like, form bands with people and just kind of politically, it's kind of, just oriented in a very like social justice kind of way, trying to give voices to like marginalized young folks, you know, particularly women, trans folks, particularly of color. That's great. And it's really just transformed over the years. And I've been able to network just with like other women that are around, you know, kind of my generation that do rad shit, you know, like Mindy and, you know, one of, the bands I played in for a while in New York, I met them there. And so, yeah, I've, I've always been involved with the rock and roll camp. I've taught audio workshops there. I've done more like focus classes on circuit bending. I've done that with them at one point. That's a a kind of another side thing I've been into is kind of tinkering maker stuff, like circuit bendy things. And yeah,
0: I've, I've read uh that. some of your articles that you've written, uh, one in particular about like a pedal with compression and how yeah. you dial in compression and that kind of stuff. And I thought, man, you explain it so well. And I was like, man, I need to take that article to some of the teaching things that I do, you know, because you get down <laughs> to the component level, but the way you explain it was super simple.
2: That's great. Yeah. Thank you. I, that's what I want, you know, and especially for, from teaching real young people, I think that's yeah. kind of probably what, how, where I, maybe like honed that skill is like really just breaking things down and, and just also like accessibility is very important to me. You know, I don't, there are articles I have written are not for seasoned audio engineers only. They're for people yeah. that don't know. And I, I always like make one of my friends read it that doesn't know anything and just like,
1: <laughs> does that That's make great. a lick of
2: sense to you? Okay, cool. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so yeah, I think uh, that like educating Um, other like younger people has always been pretty important to me throughout my career.
0: I think that's kind of a theme that we've had going through some of these podcasts lately is, you know, like when I was coming up, everybody was hoarding their information, Mm -hmm. you know, and now it seems like the world has changed so much
2: in Mm -hmm. that aspect,
0: you know, where we're starting to give more and like you're doing breaking it down for the younger generation because you know, when I was in middle school, high school, I had no idea this could be a career for me. Yeah. And then when I did get involved in it, it was like all these old curmudgeons, like sitting around just talking about, you know, all these acronyms I didn't know and all these microphones I didn't know. And it was super overwhelming.
1: And intentionally trying to leave you out by saying it that way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely.
1: I've always tried really hard and uh, because I'm a teacher, I've been a teacher for like almost eight years now. Mm-hmm. And so I try to say things very intentionally and I try to use the correct word. And so I feel bad because I, I know my students won't, they'll eventually get the slang words for things <laughs> eventually <laughs> down the line, mm-hmm. but like, I don't want to tell them the slang stuff to begin with. I want them to understand what each, each thing is and what, mm-hmm. um, how we connected and what everything does. And so Uh, you know, some of the other teachers go right into the slang, but I'm like, nah, man, if you have to order this, you need
2: to know the right Mm -hmm. word for it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's very important. And, And it's, it just gets, it becomes easier for them to just be like lazy about it. And, you know, yeah, just getting the foundation is real important. You know, one of my favorite examples of that is flipping the phase. That's something that like some people will be real picky about, but I think you know, it is good to just get it out of the way. No, you're not flipping the phase, it's polarity. Polarity. You're you're <laughs> reversing the polarity, you know. Yeah, there's but there's a difference. <laughs> I I won't ever be like mean about it. Yeah. I like that. So,
0: do you still write for a lot of these magazines and do the rock camps and like obviously we're in COVID, so yeah, that's not yeah. happening, but do you do those things I'm assuming it's harder to do while you're on tour, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. And uh, yeah, definitely. But are you still involved with those camps?
2: I am. And like, obviously, COVID, like, not happening right now. And in more recent years, I have been like, the summer is always busiest touring time. So I haven't been able to fully be involved. But like many organizations, there's always something you can do. So there's been years where I've just had like a, you know, smaller role where I even, you know, dropping gear off to SIR for them or picking it up like that kind of stuff. I'll see if they need like someone needs to use my truck or I think one year I, I even helped maybe in like the kitchen making lunches for them. Um, What (sighs) I also do just love stopping by, you know, as like a past volunteer, I love popping in and, you know seeing my friends and colleagues there and and just kind of just it's so uplifting to just be around like a room full of you know 7 year olds just yes. so excited to like scream into a microphone <laughs> Woo, just nothing that's better. so great
0: <laughs> yeah i have a couple nieces here in town and my 8 year old mm-hmm. niece uh i was at their house yesterday and the first thing she did when i walked to the door was present me with a like a little necklace thing she made that has a guitar and and she's like, and this is a baby console. (laughs) And I was like, I love that. I love that. You know what it's called. I love, you know, and then, She's like, do you have your room hooked up so we can come record our voices yet? And nice. I was like, I, I do, I do. You know, yes. and I love that because they're learning, you know, the right terminology, even mm-hmm. if they don't ever make it into this industry or want to be in this industry. Mm-hmm. You know, they know what it's called. They know what they're doing. They know how to hold a microphone properly, yeah. too, which is kind of cool at, at eight years old, you know. Mm-hmm. And And I'm like, man, like how much further in our careers would we have been if somebody would have done that? Just that simply, you know.
2: Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. I I'm right now in Maine. I'm have the honor of living with my two-year-old niece. I'm like a, you know, uh, I really like vintage cassette gear. Um, yeah. some people that know me know that I'm, I'm a big cassette tape junkie. Yes. And <laughs> I've been teaching her a lot about cassettes and she definitely knows how to say it and like pick one up and it's just so cute. Like cassette, cassette, put cassette (laughs) in, in cassette player, you know, and like she knows how to, she knows how to do eject. She, you know, it's pretty cool. I think
0: I I get fascinated with kids who catch on to it like really yeah. quickly. You like that, too. You know, yeah. all my nieces and nephews have also, uh, which I think is pretty cool um, just yeah. to see them light up too, and see something they can play with, you know, and and figure out, oh, I record my voice this way. And I do, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's pretty cool.
2: And that tactile element as well, you know, because that's yeah. going away and they're not going to be able to have a button that goes down when you hit play. And, you know, on lots of things. So
0: we were just talking, my brother and I, uh, for his three kids for Christmas, I bought them MP3 players, Mm -hmm. which is funny because nobody uses MP3 players anymore. Everybody has a phone, but they're little kids, right? They're like, my brother's like, I am not buying them an iPhone. There's five and six years old, you know? And so I was like, well, how do they listen to music? Like that bothers me because when I was that age, I was sitting in front of a big stereo with my ear up to the speaker, turning the big old silver knob, trying to listen to all these little, you know, nuances of songs and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's something that inspired me as a kid. And I'm like, how do they listen to music if, you know, one, nobody has radios in their houses anymore. And, you know, unless their parents are listening to music on their streaming, you know. Spotify or iTunes or something, like how do kids get involved in music real young anymore? Yeah. You know, so that's something I keep thinking about. Like, you know, how do I, how do I get them music? How do I get that in their hands and, and not just while they're in the car driving to school, you know, or something? Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. And headphones. I yeah. I definitely remember the first time I ever heard something on headphones ever. Like I must've been like five or six years old. I was in the library just like, my brother like let me listen to some of his tape it was like but it was just so memorable just that feeling and yeah so that's great that you've put it into their hands
0: same I mean that's I appreciate that you give to the kids and that you're teaching kids to do sound and showing them how awesome this industry can be and I think that's a big goal of Sound Girls too is you know to to be able to educate mm-hmm. and educate in any way, shape or form, not just in audio, but in our world also. And uh, so I kind of want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I know for you going from Nashville up to, you know, Brooklyn was your move to feel more comfortable in your skin and who you are and to be able to get in, in what made you feel like a normal human. And so I, I don't know exactly what my question is here I want to know, have you seen the industry, I guess, become more diversified and more inclusive just in the moves that you're making through different places and, and what you're doing as far as being in bands and studio and also touring? That's a very long
2: question. I have a very short answer <laughs> of yes. Uh, <laughs> now, I mean, I can elaborate on it. But yeah, certainly I've seen just more a diversity in engineers and, and musicians and production in in general, the live part of my career is, you know, still only like a chunk of like my whole studio musician kind of thing. Um, so in the last several years though, I've definitely noticed, and especially being able to travel internationally as well, Mm -hmm. things are different. And depending on where you are, depending on like just what the political climate is of that country. But, but yeah, overall, I think I have seen a positive change. Like I see more women, I see more black women, black men in venues that I go into. That's awesome. Definitely still always more room for improvement. Hopefully, not always, but there it is. Right.
0: I was going to say there is, yeah,
2: room for improvement,
0: definitely. And I was actually shocked on the last tour I did that I didn't run into more women Mm -hmm. in like uh, theaters and, you know, these performing arts centers and Mm -hmm. stuff. And I talked to Susan about it. I was irritated that there wasn't more women in in, uh, say, like tech director roles or production management roles and like leadership roles, I guess. But I was seeing the change of Oh, look, there's more than one woman in this theater
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: You know, or or there is a woman in the theater Or there is a, you know, binary person or non-binary persons And, and there are, uh, you know, some people of color You know, which that has changed what I've seen In the last, like, five years, definitely
2: Yeah, that's awesome Yeah, yeah, I noticed I've always thought, like, Scandinavia is super progressive With that kind of stuff um, at least on the basis of gender, not necessarily race, but there's a venue called Vega in Copenhagen. And I remember that was like the first venue I'd ever worked at that. There's just all women. That's awesome. Everything that could be staffed, not even just production. It was just like, but I, I loved how normal that felt there. You know, it was like, Oh yeah, you know, this is, this is just what's up, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, it's, I guess we can really only talk about the U.S. That's where we are, you know. But, yeah, I'd love to see us get past this point of, like, it being some kind of a spectacle or, like, a whoa. Yeah. You know, if you see, like, you know, a woman working on the crew or, like, you know, we've all like, I'm sure had that pointed out to us. Like, you know, someone comes up to you you know, I, you know, like, I've never seen anyone like you doing this. Wow. Like, how does that feel? You know? And it's like, I've also been thinking a lot about the 5% statistic. Me too. I'm real curious about that because I, I know that it comes from AES, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so Surely, like, not every single engineer that should be counted in that is part of AES, you know. And I like to, I have, like, a bit more optimism. i It's got to be more, I think, you know. And correct me if, it, if, if you know the source of that, but I'm I, like, at least by now, it shouldn't it be more?
1: I do have the source of that, and I can pull that up for us. Okay. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm interested in that. It's from- I've heard that number for a while.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm interested if it's changed.
1: The 5% was a 2000 AES Women Audio Committee estimate. And then in 2016, AES did a survey and said that 7% of its members were women. But they feel like that, that number, number is incomplete because participants could opt out of reporting their gender. Mm-hmm. And then according to Women's Audio Mission, they think that that number is probably lower than 7%. So there's not really a main, like a, a fully comprehensive study mm-hmm. that's been done. Uh, other things that I've read are the CEO of Shore a couple of years ago, give a talk for the women's, pan- women's panel or some, something like that. She thinks it's more like the STEM fields, which is about 35% or 30% in STEM. Mm-hmm. So she thinks it might be closer to that percentage, but that's yeah. also representing women who aren't just audio engineers, but are also like stage managers or video departments, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So it could be a huge goal, but I've done a lot of research on like women who work in film sound and Mm -hmm. work as like sound designers. And those numbers are even lower than 5%. Mm -hmm. Like we're talking like 2% for those. So yeah, uh, it's real hard.
2: It's It's a real hard kind of pool to like capture and yeah, but I I still am optimistic. I mean, I I'm not a member. I don't even think I'm officially a member of AES, so I'm not included in that. You right, know, right? Right. That's all I'm saying. I just I feel like there's a lot of folks that aren't really in that kind of bubble, but um, yeah, of like kind of more um, formally recognized audio engineers.
0: So let's let's do that. I got a couple questions for you. What is one piece of advice that you would give to our listeners out there. That's just broad.
2: (laughs) Just broad. Uh, Okay. Whatever you want to give advice on. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, this is just something that's been fresh on my mind just within everything going on. I would say if you found yourself out of work, out of a job with no end in sight, just remember that You know, your entire identity is not, does not only live in your place of work, does not only exist in what your job is, meaning when I say job, I mean something you get paid to do. I think that capitalism really teaches us to invest too much in and identify with like what we do to make a living. Um, not that, that there's mm-hmm. anything wrong with that. I certainly do. You know, I'm very identified in, you know, being a touring engineer and doing that whole thing. But, you know, if you invest too much in that, it, it can kind of like put you in like a pit of despair of like, who am I? Like, well, now that this thing in my life is gone. Sure. So, you know, celebrate the other parts of you, celebrate your other hobbies, and your your other strengths. I think we all have them, you know, yeah. it's, this is, we're all like, we all love this in this, this business and this, you know, trade so much, but now is a really good time to just start celebrating the other parts of you and bolstering those up because this is something that's out of our control. And so yeah. that certainly helped me out a lot throughout this whole period is, you know, just saying like, you know, it's okay to not be like fully what your job is, you know, and I think that's something that even when we do go back to work, that is good to remember. It's like the whole putting your eggs in one basket thing, right? Try to be balanced and, you know, work on just celebrate yourself and give yourself some love and care now. Definitely.
0: Thank you so much for that. I, I think that's a very wise bit of information for all of us, you know, because I think as creative people and Most of us that do this for a living, you know, our passion is directly related to what we do and finding another passion seems impossible because this is it, you know, and we found it, you know, and uh, but I think I think it's out there. I think there are places and things you can do that you'll be passionate about as well.
2: Yeah and they're they're there you you might just not know it they're inside you you might have put it on the shelf for a while it's like for me i've been finding a lot of joy in bird watching especially since i've been in in maine That's and awesome. a lot of my friends know that about me because i've been i don't i've just been directing my all of the rage and anger i feel about what's going on with our government and like the loss of work i've been directing that into getting the squirrels away from my bird feeders. <laughs> <laughs> that's been kind of like a real that's fun a great, great kind of way to handle. Yeah. It. Yeah. And, and, uh, doing a little engineering, you know, it's like, what can I, what can I construct to, you know, prevent them from getting yeah. up there and, you know, that's been kind of like good and just connecting with my environment you know, it's a good to, way to be grounded. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I've been trying to build a bike for about six months here. Susan actually offered to come build my bike because her and, and her boyfriend and fiance are uh, riding their bikes now. And so she's like, let's come fix yours. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And, but first, I'm I told you guys, I'm on a cleanse. I'm getting my health mm. lined yeah. up. You know, I'm trying to get back in the gym or work from home in the gym, which is mm-hmm. hard for me. I like to go to the gym. Uh, yeah. so, so I bought some of those little rubber band straps, you know, and I'm doing the things I can <laughs> because that to me, I can, I can get passionate about that, you know, and about being yeah. healthier so that when we do get back to work, you know, I'm I'm back on the road and I'm not dying out there <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> just because I've yeah. been, I've been over 20 times today. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: absolutely yeah absolutely. I'm feeling
1: super weak just not actually doing anything physical at work and just being everything on the computer it's mm-hmm. it sucks It just i yeah. feel so lazy and I'm not trying to be but there's not really
2: anything else for us to do yeah. when it's yeah. online learning yeah I know it's it's that's that's so real it's so real and I don't know I find my that like sometimes I just completely like shove myself out of my comfort zone. Like in the mornings, I have so many mornings, where I feel like exactly what you both are describing. And, you know, like this morning I put on my technotronic tape and I just started like flailing out wildly. Like, yes,
1: <laughs> you know, like just
2: trying to find that energy and motivation somewhere yeah. and like doing like air punches and stuff and if anything, you can just like laugh at yourself, and that's
0: totally that's a win. That's a total win. I agree. So we have a question we ask everybody, and mm-hmm. so uh, I'm gonna ask you, what is your favorite go to beverage? And that can be any kind of beverage.
2: Oh wow! I'm so glad you asked me this. Kombucha. Kombucha all day, every day. Yeah, I love it. I quit coffee while I was working at sterling sound i was at you know that was like kind of my desk job and transitioned to matcha tea and that was just awesome and anyway i can still get the same like uplifting effect from these teas but the best thing about kombucha is that it's fizzy it's cold and there's just like yeah (laughs) and so uh, that's where some people are like nah because I love that. I love the sour kind of Mm -hmm. fermented kind of thing. I've always loved sour beer. It's just so good. And the flavors are endless. And so the tours I've gone on where I've been lucky enough where the tour manager emails and asks what I want on the rider, (laughs) I... (laughs) always say kombucha and I think that's really it. <laughs> that's <laughs> funny. I, like.
0: I don't know if I could ever get rid of the coffee thing. I just, I love coffee.
2: Yeah. Fair. Fair. Yeah.
0: But I like kombucha too, like certain kinds, like you were saying, like the sour flavor thing. I love that. So I, I, can, yeah. get, I can get behind the kombucha.
2: And the thing is, since I don't drink coffee, like I do need some kind of sugar thing and the kombucha does that for me. My morning grab and go is like, yeah, it's got to have some thick kind of sugar in it. <laughs> but kombucha is like, it's not all like hippie dippy healthy. I'm not saying that. It's <laughs> it's some of it, you know, it's got like a lot of other stuff, in it. but that works for me. And I've now I've had time to like start brewing it myself. Got these two bottles. The listeners can't see, but I'm holding up two uh, grosch style bottles that I'm good. Gonna- nice that's a so ferment cool. and flavor my I just started doing this and I'm excited about it I think I'm gonna try uh maybe like a tamarind turmeric mm. cardamom is gonna be my first favorite yeah. flavor
0: man we might have like roadie kombucha coming out or yeah. something here
2: <laughs> yeah yeah get, get your yeah, own line it's, it's, it's really cool it's, <laughs> the whole way it all works it's with the scoby and the you know, it's just this little alien blob, <laughs> bacteria blob growing. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Cool. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but it was awesome to talk to you and get to know you Jade and for your advice and for what you do with the kids and everything. Thank you so much for just being an awesome sound human.
2: Thank you so much, Jade. This was great. Had so much to talk to both of you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks for talking. Bye bye. The EQL
1: directory amplified the careers and achievements of women working behind the scenes in audio and production, powered by Soundgirls in partnership with Spotify. Thank you for listening to the Soundgirls podcast. You can find out more information on the website, soundgirls.org.